how do you build a framework that can help facilitate people's growth as a leader in construction? And so this is like something that I just has been a part of my universe for, for a very long time now. And so ultimately I did a ton of research, a ton of reading, a ton of podcasts and webinars and all kinds of stuff to try to kind of collate the the what I thought was the best, most um, actionable thinking for each tier of leadership in construction. And by tiers, I mean, you know, an individual contributor, someone who's not formally uh, given a title of a manager or or a leader, but no no arguments. Every individual leads in some way with your peers or how you model behaviors or your own ethics, how you communicate your your approach to your quality of work. How are you able to translate an organization's larger mission, their vision, their values, and make it meaningful to your day-to-day as an individual person? And, and modeling that and staying congruent with that and your beliefs and values is quite frankly a leadership skill because you're you're modeling how you want to see the universe or how you want the universe to be and then you have the the next tier up is like a frontline leader or a team leader and you know we and this is so important we have so there's so much media out there talking about the gap in frontline leadership development and in construction you know that really translates to superintendents and foremen and project managers and then you get into you know the corporate environment and it's kind of like team leaders or even um project managers within a corporate or organizational team a, a scrum master for a group would be considered like a frontline leader really you're the, you're the one that's leading the people executing the the detailed work and that's a huge gap in in our industries training the, those leadership skills and then you move on to mid-level leaders, so someone who's managing multiple teams, like team leaders, and then an organizational leader, a senior leader. And so really sitting down and thinking about, okay, what behaviors would you want to see at each of these tiers in leadership competencies and knowledge, skills, and ability? And it took me a, a year to, to write this. Um, framework and really we, we met laura you were still like on the journey of getting this thing done then unless it's been you know baked longer right because we we met almost a half a year ago so six months ago this was like right at the forefront of everything you were thinking and talking about and and i was instantly enamored with this idea of uh, applying your type of thinking and experience to this type of training for people and i completely 100 percent agree that this gap is real and we need to close the gap. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you. I love it when people agree with me. <laughs> when we met, I had the framework completely written. What I uh, was working on and, and kind of am still finishing up a little bit is the, the next step. So if you're, uh, if you have an idea of what these behaviors are at each level, which simply having them written out helps with assessing like, if I want to improve my leadership skills, I could go through and just circle and oh, I do this, I don't do that, you know, whatever. And I can kind of see where I live in this spectrum. And then similarly helping someone else develop their leadership skills, you could do the same thing. Um, 
the next step though is okay so once you know what it looks like and kind of where you are or where your people are then what like how do you take this kind of academic idea and make it real and meaningful so that you can positively impact your performance and results so that's where i've been is like okay what are the what are the learning opportunities that are out there? How could an organization procure uh, this kind of material? Because really, I mean, we're not all the big, you know, global construction conglomerates in the world. But a lot of our construction industry is made up of very small businesses and they need this as much as anybody else, but they don't have these massive overheads for, you know, learning and development, blah, blah, blah. I could go on. Yeah, no, you hear, I mean, people, what uh, Laura's saying, like, to get this together, it's taken, and she's being very kind and not completely genuine, forgetting and discounting her real experiences, a year in the making to develop this type of training, plus, Laura, don't forget all of your lifetime of experiences in the field, in real construction companies, I think that is even as much or more valuable than the specific leadership things. Welcome to the EBFC show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple collaborative ecosystem. This easy-to-use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. According to Spencer Easton, Scheduling Manager at Oakland Construction, Refine My Site, in my opinion, is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last time. Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms and none compare to the straightforward approach Refine My Site takes. From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try Refine My Site for free for 60 days. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now to the show. Welcome to the show, Laura Cooley. Laura, it is my honor and privilege, and I am so glad that I talked you into the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I can be very persuasive. So <laughs> Laura has got an amazing story and so much to share, and I'm proud to be shoulder to shoulder to make construction easier and better with the work that Laura is doing. So we're going to take this time, buckle in, strap in, we'll get into her background, her history. And some of my favorite topics that I rarely get to talk about out in the wild. I've had to be, I've been privileged to talk about those every time Laura and I are together. So Laura, please tell the good people of the EBFC show a little bit about yourself. And while she's doing that, people tap the show notes 
description to get more access to her full bio and all the links that she's going to mention where you can find her. And while you're tapping, hit that like button. It's not going to hurt you. And if you haven't subscribed to our channel on YouTube, why? Okay, Laura, take it away. <laughs> I have an odd background for a construction professional. I am, first of all, a military brat. That has had a ton of influence on my life, and it cannot be like discounted. My father uh, was in the Navy for 35 years, and he's what is called a Mustang. So he enlisted in 1969, and he was commissioned as an officer in 1981. So very odd. What was really kind of a cool little factoid is my father got his college degree the year before I got my college degree and my mother got her college degree the next year. So the three of us, one, two, three. <laughs> nice. Are you an only child? Let's, let's get that dealt with now. Oh, no, I have a sister. Okay. A also has impacted many. <laughs> <laughs> I, I too younger. also have a brother. I have one younger sibling as well. Uh, so I am an industrial engineer. I went to um, California State Fresno, and I really wanted to go into a joint master's degree program with Cal Poly, which was in uh, San Luis Obispo and Pomona. And that would have been a joint uh, master's degree in science and an MBA. And it was designed for industrial engineers. So that's what I really wanted to do. But I am not mathematically inclined, however. And so it took me forever to get my um, engineering degree. I would not recommend getting an engineering degree if, if you are not mathematically inclined. But I did it because I'm stubborn. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Confirmed. <laughs> Confirmed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I tripped and fell into construction. Um, I was really lucky. The uh, firm I was working for in Santa Clara, which is in the Bay Area in California, was bought by Len Lease. And I knew they were going to be buying that firm before I, I joined them. Before that, I, I did some work with Floor Daniel. And I, I wanted to work with Len Lease. I thought that um, they really had a great deal of opportunity. And so that's what happened. And we were there in the Bay Area, my husband and I, when the dot-com bust happened. Oh. And it was a crazy time. And I learned a lot from that, that I think, you know, if you drew out a map of the things that influenced your, your life, the being a part of the dot-com bust was horrific. We had, our office had over 300 people and we went down to eight. And I oh. was one of the eight. Six of them were accountants and went to San Francisco. Me and one other person, the um, pharmaceutical consulting group out of uh, Len Lee's contacted us and said, hey, we like you. Will you come and be a part of the pharmaceutical consulting? And I said, um, okay. And how do you spell pharmaceutical? And what's GMP? I, I, I don't know. And they said, don't worry about it. We'll teach you. So like, okay. So I went, I spent a week. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like every work. college recruiting construction interview with an engineer, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it was crazy. And um, I asked why at one point, and they said, listen, you're just tenacious, detail-oriented, and you connect the dots. You can do anything. And I was like, well, that's, that's quite, you know something to, to grab a hold of. So I went and I right away out the gate, I was a commissioning manager for a Wyeth Biotech job out of St. Louis. So I was hopscotching across the country really early and 
just in the field learning. I, I mean, I didn't even know how to read a drawing because I, we didn't we didn't read construction drawings in industrial engineering, by the way. So what's a PNID? I don't know. You know, like yeah, I had to. That's learn. a great question. So for a lot of the listeners, Laura, a PNID is some very specific terminology to the industrial world of construction. So. Do you remember what it stands for? I do. Piping and instrumentation diagram. That's right. And we only hear that phrase. So for all the healthcare lean construction practitioners, and there's a lot of you, or commercial construction, rewind that to hear again what Laura said. But there's a whole nother world of construction out there when you get into industrial that uh, is it's different and yet very similar. So I love that, Laura. Yeah, you're getting all that uh, trial by fire. And then when did you come across the glorious William Edwards Deming that we so often talk about in all of this early jaunting? Was that in school or did that just come to you later through your voracious learning? I was really fortunate in my industrial engineering program. We were exposed to Deming from the very beginning. I mean, Kaizen, Six Sigma, all of that. I mean, really, I've had people ask me, are you a Six Sigma black belt? No, I'm an industrial engineer. <laughs> but okay. So when COVID first hit, actually, we decided, I was like, okay, I've been asked this question a few times. So I'll just get my green belt. And um, I did it in a day. So, I mean, it's very similar. It's it's just, you know, yeah. what label you want to put on it. Yeah, but, yeah my, and, my green belt, know, it took four days only because the instructor strung it out. But we did we did spend one day on Deming and Deming's, you know, very popular quality tools. So I'm right there with you. And I, I did it because a friend, because Dave, Dave asked me to do it with them. So you're welcome, Dave. I know you're listening <laughs> to the show. I did it for you, bro. And you know that that's the only reason I did it. <laughs> yeah. So we I mean, covered plus to that. Learn. Plus yeah, we covered that yeah. in industrial engineering. So that's where I was introduced to Deming. And actually, I was super lucky. My professors were really attached to industry um, there locally in, uh, in that part of California. And there was a great demand for ISO 9000. So they brought in a trainer and I left college trained as an ISO 9000 lead auditor. So oh. there was a lot that just started right yeah that's like an yeah. alignment it's like the, the you know the one time in our lifetime where all the planets and the solar system lined up and you had that perfect alignment with these stemming tools and iso 9000 certification and auditing i mean being able to audit hence the and yeah. people listen back to the hook at the beginning of the show and she's talking about the self-assessment she's got natural voracious auditing skills <laughs> so. Laura definitely put you on the couch and uh, tell you a little bit about yourself for sure. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell it like I see it. <laughs> but you've already apologized. So you don't have to ever apologize to any future person that you help to assess Laura. Cause you go. said it already. <laughs> Done. <laughs> We're talking about Deming. And I was pulling that thread a little bit. You've got that experience. You're now trained in, you're in the industry things are changing. You love to teach. And uh, for people that don't know, when I first met Laura, it was at a, a conference and I didn't get to see her speak, but we had uh, several people from the bull company go through her training and every single person during the first break uh, while we were getting coffee. And as you know, people, I drink lots of coffee. They just couldn't stop raving about this Laura Cooley person that just transformed their lives with this training and then uh, I bumped into, we have a mutual friend, Mr. Brian Melcher, 
who's been on the show a couple times. And Brian said, Laura, somebody you got to meet Felipe. And then I bumped into another person. So I had probably by the time we finally met Laura, I had like 10 or 15 people tell me that I need to meet you because you're incredible. <laughs> and so all of this happened in uh, a not so hot day in Phoenix. A, uh, like feels like a year ago, but who knows when it was. I don't remember the exact date, Laura. The important thing is that we got to talk about Deming leadership, psychology. We, we danced around statistical process control theory. Don't worry, audience. We're not going to bore you with stats <laughs> and control charts. But I just want you to know the type of fun conversations I have when I'm out there <laughs> with people that know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so fascinating, Laura. So I want to get a couple insights uh, as we dive back into leadership. So you're out in the field, you've, you're trained in uh, A3 problem solving, I'm sure, or DMAIC. Which one is your, which, which is your go-to? How do you like to think about it? A3 problem solving or DMAIC? Really, it's, it's more on the Deming side, honestly. Yeah. Be- because you've got to look at what you're, Anyway, you, you got to look at what your benchmark, what, what you're going for, and then figuring out what your performance is. There are some very, I think, specific rules that need to be applied, such as a trend is shown by at least three points. Oh, I love uh, it. Yeah. That's a Deming, people, that's a Deming 101. Like, if you never get a chance to go onto YouTube and do a Deming deep dive, definitely go do that because. When he talks about you need those three points of a trend line, this I cannot even start to bring his voice and his character and attitude about that trend <laughs> or how he talks so much schmickety schmack on people that look at tables of data and never plot anything out to analyze or see trends and still make profound statements on what they see based on a single point in time. It's astounding that uh, it took Deming to tell me that, Laura, to just make it so obvious. But the thread I want to pull on, as you've learned and you've gone through this, and people, if you want to learn more about A3 problem solving, uh, click on the EBFC show blog post. I put a post there for some basic do's and don'ts on A3s if you want to go deeper. And uh, Demaic is the equivalent, but it's more of the, the Six Sigma industrial engineering manufacturing approach to A3 problem solving that, that we know more familiar in the lean construction circles, but Deming talked a lot about leadership, Laura. And as you know, is very critical about leadership. What are some of the things that, that you're doing to help with the helping leaders understand how they're sometimes perceived or misperceived? So I think one of the key points is it's systems thinking and it's systems thinking at every level of the organization. So some definitions are important here. A, a, a system is made up of multiple processes that work together to accomplish a stated and desired result. In order to identify a system, you have to have a, what a definition of what your desired result is. You've got strategy, you've got leaders, right? You need systems and processes within like subsystems and subprocesses. You have the people that do the work. And so the right. workforce, right, as defined right. by like the Baldrige criteria, it doesn't have to be direct employees. It could be even volunteers. It could be anything, but the people doing the work and then results. So kind of like those four components, strategy, the what the processes, the people doing it, and then the results, right, the performance. Looking at how all of those four 
interact and and help each other or hurt each other is is kind of is where I live because you you've got to always be looking at your results because that needs to drive change your trending results needs to drive change whether it's we like this and we're going to keep doing it or this result's off or worse the result is unpredictable so now i need to change how i'm thinking about it over the overall system and then adjust what i'm doing train up communicate with the people who are doing it and then continue to monitor the results so plan, do, check, act, right? I mean, we've all seen it a thousand places, but as you apply that all along the way, that, that to me is critical. The other second thing, which is a, kind of a subset of systems thinking is the concept and very Deming here, the customer focus concept with the customer chain and valid requirements to, um, uh, you've got a process, every process has a supplier, every process has a customer and then you get customer satisfaction. So along that continuum, that is where those, like those two things, if you're thinking systems approach and you're thinking always along the customer chain, if, if that's what's driving a lot of decision-making and strategy, you're, I believe you're gonna get a heck of a lot further. And I think for the people listening, cause we often talk about these terms and they become very ethereal or theoretical. And I, I love Deming talked about the importance of a theory. And I had to like dive deep into this, Lori. Be proud of me. I went down the nerd rabbit hole and I came, you know, I went dictionary pages, encyclopedia reading articles online. And I came to this understanding that theory is really akin to the beliefs that we hold inside, how we predict our intuition our, and, and very powerfully beliefs, or you can think of it as your philosophy if you see the world in a certain way, your paradigm that kind of filters and drives how you're going to act because of that belief system that you have. And people aren't always aware of the beliefs that you have. So you can see like on my shirt, for those of you watching on YouTube, I've got my respect for people continuous improvement shirt on because I believe that respect for people is more important than continuous improvement. But I also believe that I'm the hero of my own story. This is my adventure. And I want my adventures to get better every single day. So I want both of those. I don't want one or the other. I put one above the other because it's just a function of my paradigm, my belief system, my theory. And then Deming taught me that from that theory, all actions follow. Everything follows after belief, never the other way around. So I just love that you're, you're, you're tapping on that stuff. But I think to bring it back, what is, because uh, there's many systems we interact with every day, what's your go-to metaphor or system, simple system you think of to, to play with mentally in your mind as you're thinking about these drivers and results? So I rely heavily on the Baldrige criteria uh, for performance excellence. I was introduced to that pretty early on and that's been pretty influ influential, but they use a scale to assess a process and a system. And uh, there's an acronym for it, it's ADLI. So A for approach, D for deployment, L for learning and I for integration. And what it means is like, and that's just the process side. They have a whole nother cute acronym for results, which by the way, trends lives in results. So there's a T in there, <laughs> but so approach. And this happens all the time. Um, so approach, you can have a great process that's written. Okay, check. 
that could be a completely ineffective dust collector, but it's written and a lot of people will sit back and say, hey, I, I did my thing, I've got a process. So, okay, fine, check, you have, you have your approach, awesome. Then deployment, how well is that process deployed? And that means managed and, and assessed, right? So how well is it deployed? Does everybody use it? Like, you know, we often in construction, we want, it's, it's one fill in the blank company and we want all of these standard processes done on every job, no matter where we are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's where deployment would come in and measure how well that's actually happening. Then um, L for learning. So how many times has it been through the continuous improvement process? How many times have you looked at the results and made adjustments to the process and system? How often are you um, doing that? And one of my taglines is oh, with purpose on purpose. I don't care what you do, do it, but do it with purpose and on purpose every time, all the way through the cycle. And then integration. And this is where the system's thinking like super duper comes in because it's, it's talking about, so if you have an approach, you have it deployed and it's learning, right? The process as a finite entity. Now, how well does that process play well in the rest of the system? So that's what integration is. And then how much is the learning and nudging happening because of that interaction? You know, so many errors whether they're people errors or process errors or manufacturing and construction, I, I always call it the spaces in between. It's the handoffs between each thing where oh, just a ton of air, that's where miscommunication happens, all kinds of stuff. So the spaces in between. So that's what the I in integration is, is assessing is how well integrated is it? How well do they work together? I have used that ADLI from Baldridge innumerable times because it makes sense. Right. Here, here's your great idea. Great. <laughs> it makes sense when you're a profound system thinker like yourself, Laura, and you went right to answering the question in terms of an organization. So a lot of people listening that do the work, the everyday work on construction projects, don't always st step back and think about the organization. But the good news is systems thinking is fractal. And so the way that your project dynamics are, are operating on your job, even within your own company, it doesn't matter if you're a trade partner, subcontractor, a vendor, a one-off delivery person, or the project management team, this is fractal. All the things that Laura are describing exactly happen at your level within your group or team. And then I love that additional handoff point. Like every process has a supplier and a customer. It's like, oh, I'm going to totally steal that, Laura. I'm totally stealing that. It's stemming. It's not me. I wish yeah. I could. I and wish I you... could claim that, but I can't. <laughs> I can claim spaces in between. And yeah. I can claim with purpose on purpose, but I can't claim the customer chain. Okay. With purpose on purpose, I'm going to totally steal. <laughs> I'm stealing that too. But okay. I think, I think for people listening, like as Laura was going through that, it's ADI, ADLI, ADLI, ADLI process, deployment, learning integration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you were going through that, Laura, I thought in typical companies, we only get through 25, 30 ish percent of that. If I took each one of those as being equal, I'm going to give us a grade as an industry and say, we got about 30% there and we failed to close the loop and come back. We definitely almost never integrate the last one. The learning is very sporadic. So for people like where, where people like Laura live, companies like, I'm just going to name names, like Toyota, they have over 2 million improvements per year. Every person had does somewhere between one to five improvements per day on their job. So that's part of that learning loop and making changes in the 
traditional construction companies, sometimes we'll have like improvements, we'll make jigs, we'll change some process, but then it dies with that team when that project comes to an end, it doesn't spread across the organization and, and the learning doesn't spread. It stays with the one person and it's because of the system people. I'm just giving you the reason why it's the system does not incentivize you to share with your peers. That's why the EBFC show, Laura, is a countermeasure to the lack of sharing and transparency in the industry. So we can talk about these things and then get it to the thousands of people listening to the show so that they can take it and apply it and think about it. We're shifting paradigms here, Laura. Love. Uh, Yeah. Well, and that is what you just described, that um, disconnect between learning the lesson and making the improvement and then having it propagate through the rest of the organization, the organizational learning, the organizational development. That's where I really try to focus all of my leadership stuff in because I think that is fundamentally the role of a leader. And that too is why it's easy. It's not easy, but to tear it individual frontline mid-level and senior because of your your sphere of influence and your role and responsibility too within the real world so um yeah that that's a really good example of of those kinds of improvements not propagating and i mean i I have a book i have a lot of books but i have a book that i love that i've never read because i don't need to read it the title says it all it's the no asshole rule This is exactly what we need. <laughs> yes, that's a great uh, that's a great title. And Isn't Dr. Jeff title? Sutherland in the Red Book, which is over my shoulder. It's uh, let's see where it is. It's over. No, it's this way. Jeff Sutherland's book, Scrum: The Art of Doing Twice the Work and Half the Time. There's a chapter where he summarizes. Uh, he talks about overburden variation, and it's in his talking about overburden. Jeff straight out says, "Don't be an asshole." no assholes in scrum. And if you are one, you can change. And it's like, it's the same. Who's I've got to look up the author of that book, Laura, I'll put it in the show notes. We don't need to, we don't need to be searching now. No duck, duck, go during this episode. Uh, I know I'm fighting, turning around and pulling it off my shelf. I think it's right behind my head. (laughs) (laughs) I'll, I'll do the due diligence of looking it up and making it the title available in the show notes for people that uh, would want to go deeper into why that shouldn't be. And we know that we have those people on our sites. Laura, if you're a more emotionally intelligent person, or at least sensitive to other human beings, and you're not, you the listener, would not classify yourself as an a-hole. What is some advice you'd give to that person that is dealing with that type of personality? Because it does affect throughput of our system and how we work. Uh, that's a great question. The, that is why I have that communication style class, because um, our perception of someone being an, an a-hole, it could very likely be their perception of seeking information and, and knowledge and um, just trying to get to the point. So it's very, you know, that phrase, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Well, so is a wholeness. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It just is. And so 
I, I think that there is no one answer to that. I think it's really paying attention to, um, and, and it is being emotionally intelligent. So whether you're looking at DISC or Myers-Briggs or you're using Dan Lowry or, or whoever it is that you, that's all based on the same centuries old thinking um, and study, but really uh, assessing what the person's drivers are. Because if you understand that you all want the same things and that you value the same things, which by the way is why organizationally defining and identifying core values is so important because you want to attract people who share those values because it helps um, quick start trust. Like if we all agree that respect for people is a massive core value, well, you know what? Calling somebody out who's having a bad day and being an a-hole is totally cool. You should be able to do that because you've all agreed that, hey, that's disrespectful behavior. I mean, same thing with, you know, depending on how you define respect for people. And, and I do um, include this in my definition of respect for people. It, it aligns like a Venn diagram with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Like getting the diverse ideas on the table, respecting them, pulling from as many sources as possible giving everyone an equal opportunity and pulling them out, which is facilitation and using communication personality styles. How can I ask a question that resonates with that person so that the, I give them an equal chance to share their ideas and, and express their thoughts? How do I expand my teams and you know, stages of group dynamics, right? How do I bring in enough different ideas and variety to collaborate so that we can innovate. And there's good definitions of innovation. It's not just a new idea. That's not an innovation. Right. And so how do you bring that together? Right? I mean, like I could go on, it, it, but that all is founded and agreed when you're living core values as a true part of culture, because cultures need shared language. Value statements are building that language. Otherwise you don't have a culture. And, and so all of that flows together. And so I don't have a succinct answer to your question because that's what, that's why leadership is such a rich and deep topic. That's why emotional intelligence is such a rich and deep topic. That's why really getting to know and assess different styles of communication is so important because listen, we can all be a-holes every other day of the week. I mean, sometimes I just decide I'm not putting up with anything. And I have these great t-shirts that say, nope, not today. And, you know, like a sign <laughs> to the world, I'm not being nice today. But, yeah. you know, we have to get through that and help people get through it collectively. That's a fun t-shirt, Laura, that you have. But uh, <laughs> you said something. I think you did answer the question because you asked everyone, and this was poised from an emotionally intelligent or at least sensitive person to those around them. And, and if you just pause and think about, like Laura said, what are the drivers, what they're trying to get to Laura, this has happened so many times when I've been facilitating, I've heard two people say something nearly identical and they're at odds with each other. They're arguing. And I've had to say as a facilitator, you want this, you want this. And I go to my, with my hands to the same place. I was like, you want the yeah. same thing. You're saying the same thing in a slightly different way. Why are you arguing? Like if we have the time and the facilitation to, to uncover like yeah. the why, why do they think it's different? And I have to remember that it's, we hear and experience things through our filter. And that's yeah. that personal theory or belief system that we have. And sometimes people think that we're 
on opposite ends, but out loud for everyone watching as a spectator, like, wow, they're just saying the same exact thing. So I do want to, because you're such a masterful facilitator and communicator, communication has been cited as one of the root causes for when projects fail, especially in the construction industry. And if you have any friends that are lawyers, and I have more than a couple, the, the cases that even lawyers are taught in school, no matter what kind of lawyer you are, are often construction litigation cases because it is so predominant. There's so many lawsuits in construction. I've been part of one earlier in my career. And I can tell you that when we looked at the root causes after terabytes of deposition data and interviews by multiple attorneys and cross-examinations and failed mediation attempts, it is a communication failure. So Laura, what, what is something that uh, you can give some tidbits to people who run meetings and often find themselves facilitating? What are some good facilitation tidbits that people might not think is obvious, but I feel like when you say it, everyone's going to be like, well, duh. And I'm going to challenge everyone who's already thinking, duh. I've been to a lot of bad meetings, so it's not duh. There's a, there's a gap. Laura, what are some good facilitation tips? Well, uh, I think a first one would directly address the, the situation that you just discussed with like, we're all saying the same thing, like move on that whole singing to the choir thing, thou shalt not sing to the choir. <laughs> when people can't see that, right? When, when people have a blind spot to that, um, one of the things that has worked for me in my experience is to ask each person, okay, what does that look like? When people can answer that question, and it, that's not a challenging question, that's a, okay, describe to me what that looks like. What do, what will that taste like? When, when people can see that the end picture is almost identical to each other, then then there's no need for me to interfere anymore. They have come to their conclusion and they have worked that out, right? It like, because the picture aligns. How they that's get there might not gold. be. People, yeah, that's, that's solid good... gold. You hear what Laura said? She said, just ask people, like, what does that look like? And just describe it. I think that's a very non-aggressive answer, but powerful. Because if they have to describe the picture or the end state, and the other person that's not talking, because only one person talks at a time, so put that out there, people, <laughs> then they can, it'll influence and flavor the other person a little bit, and they'll see the common ground. Love that, Laura. What other facilitation tip do you recommend for people that run run meetings? I um, very much like to abort con confirmation bias by taking quiet polls. So using, you know, sticky notes, the facilitator's best friend. Yeah. But, and, and one of the key tools, I think, with sticky notes is affinitization. So taking a bunch of sticky notes and then kind of categorizing them together and, and all of that. That's a fancy, you know, affinitization is a cool word for, for just categorizing stuff. It but, is a cool um, word. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, but doing um, that silently first, which also works super awesome for brainstorming. You know, a lot of times when we're facilitating brainstorming sessions, we're right, okay, everybody, give me some ideas and, and we'll scrap them or, or, you know, whatever, whatever. And it's all very um, external. But that when I, I opened with saying confirmation bias, many times when you hear the first, people only remember like three things, right? So if you're not giving people time to think and reflect internally and everything is coming out externally first, all of their thoughts are going to be shaded 
by what they're hearing. So I really like to do blind, quiet brainstorming first, whether it's, you know, okay, everybody, I want to see five stickies with your ideas, first of all, and then we're going to pull them all together and then we'll refine and talk about, you know, and get more and, and build on those ideas. But I, I don't like starting, starting um, any kind of brainstorming uh, vocally first. I, li I like to be silent first. That's a really good thing that you're sharing. And I, I recognize the same thing, Laura, I was in a coaching conversation yesterday and the person was asking me questions about uh, a product owner or a scrum master. And, and I can tell from what they'd written to me before the conversation started that they had an affinity or a predisposition to wanting to be a product owner. And after they, a little bit of coaching, they're like, well, I think now hearing you, I want to be a scrum master. And said, and I said, unfortunately, the sound of my voice will sometimes persuade you to want to be a scrum master like me. And, and so I, I don't want to flavor you and just redirect you that way. So I gave them some homework. I said, go back. I gave them two things to read, less than two minutes of reading. And I said, and just sit with it quietly and see what uh, resonates with you. And that's what you should go with. So you can even use that silent brainstorming reflection with an individual as well if you're out there listening. Absolutely. But, uh, Absolutely. If, if, but for everybody else listening, you should be a scrum master. There, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Transparency and, yeah. and collaboration and all of that. It's, yeah. it's, and Laura, um, you're, you're tapping on another bias too. Like I, I was hearing, I don't remember the source of it, but uh, neurologists were studying how people do recall and problem solving. And I think it was, oh, now I'm remembering it was, it was Dave Snowden of the famous Kinevin framework. And he said that the research shows that when we're, we're trying to to fit a pattern, to understand something, to start problem solving, our mind goes to the first best fit, not yep. the, even the best fit. Like once the brain sees something close enough, right. we latch onto that and it's over. And that, and for mentally that's, we never go to the next thing. And so I think that's important to call it uh, a first fit bias. It's got a better fancier name than that. And, and don't look in the show notes for that fancier name because I'm not giving it to you. If you want to study a Kinevin, it's spelled with the C. It's a Welsh word. So you can go into that rabbit hole, listeners, if you want to. But Laura, that's what the Ishikawa diagram and cause and effect analysis is supposed to um, circumvent. You know, oh, ask why five times. There's Deming for you again, you right. know, a way to challenge um, that that our, our human nature to, to pop that in. You, you know, the other thing, um, I'll give you another facilitation tip that has worked for me. There are so many times when we like to, uh, we have a result that we don't like. So first of all, is it a trend or is it an outlier? But often I find myself asking, do we really need a new process or do we have a great process and it's not deployed? Do we have a great process that is deployed and it's not being managed? Those kind of three questions really are important for, for problem solving and a facilitator to ask because because those people know in the room which one it is. Sometimes they don't want to think that, yeah, I'm the manager and I'm doing a really crappy job of managing this process. That's why things aren't working. But all too often, and you see it, this is how we end up with like, I always, you know, in programming, you call it a spaghetti code. It's all, yeah. all, all over the place. I In operationally, you can get operation spaghetti because you <laughs> To have so many processes nobody combined or eliminated or whatever and i think that's a really important technique too is try to really figure out 
it's not even root cause. It's like, let's be honest, is it a process issue, a management issue, deployment, or even a people or training issue? A lot of times it's not the process. A lot of times it's it's the other things, but we like to say, well, let's define a new process. And you'll know instantly what's happening. So if you've ever been in an organizational meeting and uh, you, you're, you might find yourself discussing a breakdown in a process or something's just not going to what you want, and someone says the phrase, we rolled this out and then insert time period. Yeah. And then I always, I'm the first jerk in the meeting, Laura, to remind the person that since you rolled that out, there's been zero communication about that thing. And there's been zero feedback loops back to the organization to see how effective that is closing the loop. And I just get that tenacity from Deming myself with the, it's the last part of the PDCA. The A can stand for act, adjust, abandon, yeah. Right. So it, it has, there's some different A's you can get in, but it's that closing that loop. Laura, I want to give you the last good thing. And because we're so continuously improvement minded, Laura, as far as leadership is concerned, what are you optimistic for, for leaders in construction? Actually, I'm very optimistic. I think the construction industry is changing a lot. And I think that the ideas and exposure of today's leaders are vastly different than the leaders that I grew up with. And I, I think that uh, that there's going to be some pro and con to, to what the next 10 or 15 years looks like. Um, but I, I think that we're getting a lot better, particularly because, I mean, we're getting more and more diverse ideas, experiences. There's there's industry crossovers that didn't happen before. Um, never mind, you know, all, all the other demographic um, diversity categories that you could talk about it but diversity and collaboration uh, to me it's about ideas and respecting ideas and and sharing and listening and acting on those ideas and I I really do think we're getting better at it I, I really do I would like to see us get to where we're doing a better job reading and understanding and acting on the data that's being captured so like, whereas before, 100 years ago, we were writing reports and really hurting ourselves writing these reports. And by the time the report was written, the data was so old, it was useless anyway, but it was so arduous to write that report. Now things are changing drastically, but I am not seeing that, that people are really doing a good job of reading, understanding, and acting on the results that they're seeing. And so I think that we're, we're on the cusp. We should be able to get there sooner. Technology is finally catching up to what we need. But I think that that's where leaders need to, to get. And I, I think that, that we can. Like, here's this information that I'm seeing. And then ask open-ended exploratory questions as to why, how, and what to PDCA. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, tell people where's the best place to find you to contact you for training and and connect with you so that they can go deeper in some of these topics? The best way to, to directly reach me is at withpurpose-onpurpose.com. And if you want to see uh, the instructor kits for leadership in construction, that's developingconstructionleaders.com. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better.
Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.